Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. In Her Room is supported by listeners like you. Contribute to keeping the show ad-free at patreon.com slash inherroom, or visit our website to make a one-time donation. Your support keeps women's voices on the air. This week's guest on In Her Room is Sarah Rauch. Embodying the spiny exterior, succulent interior of its namesake, Cactus Heart Press seeks work that engages, surprises, and explores life from a new perspective. This is much the same as its founder, Sarah Rauch. Her work brings this spirit of inquiry to all facets of life. When she's not working on the journal, she's reading and reviewing for Lambda Literary or playing with one of her cats, perhaps simultaneously. Sarah, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that we met at AWP this year. It was um, so fortuitous, and we just hit it off right away, and I was glad I stopped at your table, and you said, hey, I'm a Sarah with no H, too. (laughs) It's so hard to find a Sarah with no H. (laughs) It really is, and that's okay. It just means that we are a special breed. That's right. Yes. Well, I want to start off um, this awesome conversation by asking you, what is writing to you? Oh, um, that is a really good question. And I probably have a lot of different answers. So let's see what I come up with right now. (laughs) Writing is kind of, I, I sometimes hate to say this, but I don't hate it today. I feel like it's, it's my reason for being, I feel like it's just who I am, what I've always wanted to do, what I've always done in some way or another. And I think that it's, as I've gotten older, it's become more and more the importance of storytelling and, and who we are in the world and how we relate to other people. And then how we put that out there, how we make art out of our life, how we, how we kind of filter things through whatever it is inside of us and then it comes out in this slightly different way and it's just like a way to share a way to share that with the world not everybody wants to do that obviously (laughs) I feel very compelled to so that I think is what writing is to me this means of storytelling this means of existing just kind of letting the world pass through me and then come out slightly differently. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we are writing and sort of in the craft and the practice of writing, we can forget that writing is really about storytelling and about translating and illustrating our world and our experiences. Yeah. I, for a long time, wrote poetry, and I was a really non-narrative poet. It was mostly images and kind of nobody ever knew what I was talking about, (laughs) which was fine. (laughs) I was okay with that. But then I switched over to fiction, and I struggled for a really long time with the idea of plot because I thought plot was like, you know, for, for mass market paperbacks. And then I realized, like, 
it's really not. It's just story. Like story is what stays with people when when they read. And suddenly it became really, really important to me that like I'm telling stories. Maybe it's my story. Maybe it's a fictional character story. Maybe it's like a thing I overheard in a crowd once and it stuck with me and I want to talk about it. Or maybe it's someone I met peripherally and they told me something. And I think like, well, that's something really important that they might not ever tell the world. So I want to tell it in the way that I can. So that is, has definitely become kind of my guiding when I start writing stories, when I start writing things down, I think like, what am I trying to tell here? You know, like that's actually really important to me now. I want people to know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think there's this way that we um, have to think about like uh, showing versus telling, right? So non-narrative work is okay, but it's at the same time, like, how do we express and not just say this happened, then this happened, then this happened? Yeah. Yeah. Using images or scenes versus just like kind of telling what, what, what happened and you move out of that. Like, you know, the whole, I, I don't mind. I actually, you know, when you read, you notice the kind of different things that are happening. And I, I don't mind in stories or novels or even, or essays or anything when someone kind of the narrator or the protagonist kind of stops for a moment and sort of tells me some things that I might not pick up otherwise. But I think it, it's, it's better when it's, it's deeper than that. And it becomes more like, here, I'm creating this world for you to look at. And so you can see, you know, I'm, I might be trying to tell you one thing, but you might see something else. And that's totally okay too. You know, like I, I like that idea of, of the, thinking about how the reader might be engaging with what I'm or any, you know, what's being shown in a scene versus trying to tell a specific thing, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk uh, not so much about your writing, though I want to come back to that, but about Cactus Heart Press, which is a literary journal that you founded in 2012. Um, It is primarily online with a few print issues, and I want to hear about how you came up with the title and what this literary press means for you. Um, Well, I came, (laughs) I tend to be pretty impulsive in my life and do things that maybe don't make a ton of sense. So I had applied to grad schools and was waiting to hear back my yeses and nos and make like my next big life decision. And I woke up one morning and I thought to myself, I should start a literary magazine. <laughs> like no big deal. <laughs> so <laughs> I get that. That's how this show started. <laughs> really lots and lots of amazing life decisions happen that way. I think, you know, like you planning is great, but sometimes you just have an idea and you have to go with it. <laughs> yes. So that's basically what Cactus Heart was. Like, I thought, I want to start a literary magazine. I emailed a friend. I said, am I crazy? She, because she's awesome, said, no, you're not crazy at all. I think you're onto something. And the name, I just was kind of, I wanted, I knew I wanted a two word, a two word name. And I was kind of playing around with like, what do I like? What, what, what is appealing to me? And 
cactus heart kind of popped into my brain. And then I thought, this is perfect. I love cacti. I love hearts in all forms. And together it becomes its own metaphor for this, you know, like if you crack a cactus open, it's all juicy inside. And so I felt like it's a really great metaphor for how I want my writing to be. Like I want it to be sharp. I want to be stabbed by things that I read. I also want it to have like that core where it's just like juicy and and appealing to get into. So I, I that's that's what I went with. <laughs> so I had um it it started really small just me doing email submissions. I had a lot of really I had a lot of interest right away which was really exciting and it's entirely possible and probable that every literary magazine has a lot of interest right away because there are so many writers out there looking for a place to share their work. And it, it was really, but it was really heartening to see all these submissions and just like the, the, um, the, I remember reading the bios for my first issue and just thinking like, these writers are so talented and they're trusting me to publish their work. And, you know, like having no, this is the first issue. I have no background. They have no real reason to trust me, but they did. And it, it was, it was a really amazing experience to go through. It was, you know, big learning curve. I had to design my own website, which I had really no experience in doing. I had to learn how to, how to set up an issue. I had to think about things I'd never thought about. Like, how do you arrange an issue? How do you, what do you put where and why? <laughs> and, um, so all of those things happened and it was, it was really, really great. I, I do have um, a, a, an editorial staff now, which makes my life a lot easier, <laughs> but it has been a really interesting and informative and amazing three and a half years of doing this. I've met a ton of really talented writers. I feel like I I am part of a community, you know, and that is something that as as many communities as I've been a part of in my life, that's something that I have a really hard time kind of feeling like I can create. So the fact that I'm kind of at the head of this community of all these people is is pretty makes my heart feel really big. <laughs> So um, it means a lot to me to have Cactus Heart around and to and to talk to people about it and to talk to people who are really excited to talk about it, too. I mean, it it's nice. I, I feel like it's not. Um, it, it's really easy in one's day to day life to kind of forget about art. You know, if you're not kind of touching it or surrounded by it every day, it's really easy just to forget about beauty and writing and everything. And I feel really, really lucky that I, I have a way to kind of stay tapped into that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the, um, one of the benefits of literary magazines for me is that it is um, a digestible way to stay connected to art. Um, yeah. For me, I can pick up a lit mag or a journal um, and read one essay or one story or a collection, you know, a short collection of poems and and then be able to continue with my day 
and to move through things. Yeah. So to stay connected in that way, I think is really beneficial as well. Yeah, it's true. You get, you know, it's really hard to keep up as a writer with kind of what's going on in contemporary literature. And of course, there's like all sorts of subgenres within contemporary, but it, it's hard just to, for me, I really love short stories. So I try to keep in, in that. And it, it's hard for me just to keep up with what's being published in the short story world every year. And a, a lit mag, you get, you know, maybe five different short stories by five different contemporary writers. And you're going to get a little taste of all of those things. And I think that's really, that's really great rather than trying to digest everything. You do you get little bites. So one of the things that I think is really unique about Cactus Heart is that currently your entire editorial staff is all women writers. And I'd love to know what that means for the work that you publish and if that's an intentional thing. Um, it's not, in <laughs> it wasn't intentional. And we actually, very recently, I took on two fiction readers and one of them is a guy. <laughs> so, but the, you know, the main editors are all still women. And I think of our, our male fiction reader as like our token male, which is kind of it's just an inside joke. It's like, <laughs> cause <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, I, it's, I did certainly did not mean to only have female editors, but it just kind of happened that way. And all of my editors came to me kind of, um, Thea, the poetry editor, had a poem published in the first print issue and she emailed me and she was like, hey, I'd love to read poetry for you. And I happen to live in Brattleboro, which is a half an hour north of where I live. So she was like, let's meet for coffee. And so we did and we hit it off. And I was like, okay, you're my poetry editor. <laughs> like, well, well, I, you know, I had her read for a few issues first and then I realized I could absolutely trust her. So she became the poetry editor. And same thing with Marin. Marin sent me an essay that was actually a lot... I think it was maybe a thousand words over our kind of suggested word count. And we started emailing about it and I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll read it. No, I don't mind reading a few extra words. And then I loved her essay and she was like, well, <laughs> do you need a nonfiction editor? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and it just, you know, like it, it kind of worked out that way. And then Killian, who was our art editor, we were in an MFA program together at Pacific university and, kind of really, we had workshop together the first um, residency that we were there. And she's super, she's young. She's, I think, in her mid-20s. And she's super talented and super excited about writing and art and just that world. And so I think it was last year, right before we graduated, I approached her and I was like, how would you feel about being my art editor? And she was really excited about it. So she came on, she was kind of my my last edition before the fiction readers. And we actually just got a new poetry eater, reader who's also a woman. <laughs> so we're continuing the tradition of lots and lots of females. And I, I am, um, I really don't do it on purpose, but I feel really proud of it. I think that there are, there are, everything is male dominated, <laughs> you know, like every, most art, most businesses, mm -hmm 
it's it's there's lots and lots of men and you know what I love men I have nothing against men certainly at all but it's really exciting to me to think that like here we are this group of really talented really smart really literary women like just doing this all yeah. by ourselves like when we're I I you know we publish a lot of men writers we publish actually publish a lot of um kind of I would say genderless is maybe not the right <laughs> right word. Um, like we publish all genders. It just de- totally depends on the writing, of course. And I, I'm really, really, really committed to being um, kind of inclusive and also trying to get the voices of people who don't necessarily have a lot of voice um, or a lot of places to have their voices be heard. I'm really committed to that. And I, I do think that, you know, as a, we're all white women. So we definitely come from that, that, um, that sort of area of privilege. But I think just as a woman, you do, you think a lot about how, how kind of silenced we were and still are for, you know, and it's, I think, that informs a lot of our decisions of who and what we publish. It's just that knowing that it's really important to us to get stories out there that don't, that aren't necessarily being heard elsewhere. Mm, Absolutely. And I think that that's, um, that's such an important thing because the publishing industry is so male dominated and we have projects like the Vita count and other initiatives for bringing more women and uh, genderqueer or non-binary individuals into publishing. Um, But we struggle still. And I think having Cactus Heart as a place where those voices are not only welcome, but celebrated is really important. Yeah. You're, you're currently accepting submissions for your next print issue, issue 14.5. And the theme of that issue is bodies. And I think that's also um, a great opportunity to think about celebrating voices that don't often get heard in the industry. Um, There is one week left to submit online. Uh, The deadline is October 1st. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to mention anything about that particular issue. Um, Let's see. It was Killian came up with the idea did we do oh we did a a speculative fiction issue that a really good friend of mine Kate Sheeran Swed guest edited earlier this year and then we were kind of tossing ideas around what we might do for another theme issue and Killian came up with the body idea mostly because she wanted more um art and like line drawing and kind of figure drawing because we do the print issues are black and white only because color printing is so ridiculously expensive so she kind of wanted to base the art around that theme and I she as she was talking to me about it I was like this is an amazing theme for the entire issue like we should definitely have everything be bodies themed and I think that I'm I'm really excited to see what we get um and kind of be I'm excited to be surprised by what we get. And I think that that's a, um, 
that's probably the thing that we're most looking for is surprising new ways of seeing the body. Like we're all in bodies all the time, <laughs> walking around, looking at other people's bodies. And, and, and I, I'm really curious to see how this gets approached and to also um, hopefully get a lot of stuff that either looks at bodies in ways that we don't usually think of looking at them or not really like and when I say looking I don't mean that as like an objectification I mean that as like how we exist in the world mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm really excited to hear voices and stories about bodies that we don't see represented all the time and I, I don't really know what that's going to look like and you know the submissions have been coming in and I have been browsing them and marking them as separate for that issue so that I know what I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of, and, and I don't know how the other editors are doing it, but this is how I'm going to do it. Kind of look at them all as a group and see how it goes. But um, I, I think there's so much room in, in, in interpreting bodies I'm really excited to see the kind of breadth of submissions that we get. And of course, I'm talking just like there's only human bodies in this world and that's the only submissions we're going to get. Of course, that is not true at all. <laughs> like, I I'm really excited <laughs> to see, like, maybe there's going to be animal bodies here or, you know, bodies of water or like th there's all sorts of crazy ways this could go. And also like bodies there's a name for this big unit but there's also the parts of the bodies and so I'm curious like how are we gonna how is this all gonna play out I'm really excited about this <laughs> this issue that's awesome that's very exciting you mentioned uh your MFA from Pacific University and I'm wondering how the process of being an MFA student and going through an MFA program has impacted your writing? <laughs> um, I, and this is of course completely subjective, <laughs> but I feel like I'm about a 400% better writer now than I was <laughs> before I started the MFA program. I, I'm in my 30s and when I was in my 20s, I thought I would maybe get a poetry MFA and I didn't. And then I somehow ended up with this big chip on my shoulder about MFA programs that I carried around for eight years or something. And then I just kind of hit a point right after I turned 30, one of my coworkers died really unexpectedly and she was really young. And I, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And that one day it was just like, I should just apply for MFAs. Like I'm writing fiction. I'm writing pretty regularly. I had this novel that I was working on that has since gone to the novel graveyard um, <laughs> um, so I was like, whatever, I'm going to apply for MFA programs, see what happens. And I, even after I got in and decided which program I was going to choose, I really went, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I didn't think it was really going to affect me that profoundly to go through an MFA program. And then I showed up at my first residency and of course, the low residency programs, it's it's intense. I mean, I had heard this from lots and lots of people like it's really intense. You're going to make really close friends. You're going to really be changed by this experience. And I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go I'm gonna like workshop. I'm going to listen to some craft talks. I'm going to go home. No big deal. <laughs> I went and I like 
roomed with these three women who I was, you know, randomly assigned to live with for these two weeks. And I ended up becoming really great friends with all of them. And was just, I feel like I had my my mind blown open. My first craft talk I went to um, was this poet, Marvin Bell. And he, oh, I'm going to, I will probably butcher the quote. He has this quote. He said it at every craft talk. And I remember hearing this quote, which let me see if I can find it while I'm talking um, about art. And it just kind of like hit me. And I realized like, why am I, why am I being so um, kind of protective about this experience? Like I should really just let my guard down and really like throw myself into this and really enjoy it. And, oh, this is the quote, the Marvin Bell quote. Art is the big yes. And I, I, I just was like, I don't know why, why that hit me so profoundly, but it did. And I really, um, I'm really, really shy or I'm very introverted and I get to, be, I tend to be very protective about my space. I have a really hard time in crowds. So I was really nervous about doing an MFA program, being around all these strangers. But the amazing thing is it's like, you go into this room and there's, you know, 70 people in the room and they're all really in love with the same thing that you're in love with. They mm-hmm. all are in love with words. And then, you know, I met all these writers, the advisors who had published all these books, books that I had read, these people that I admired, and they were so open and so friendly and so they were just people. And I was like, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> blew my world open. <laughs> and, and I really, the, I looked forward to those residencies so much. And I, I, um, the, the semesters when you're working one-on-one with an advisor, they're really intense. I mean, it's like every three weeks, every four weeks, you have a packet due, you're writing a, a new story every month or really edit or, uh, you know, revising and, when they say revising, they don't mean like, oh, move your pretty sentences around. They mean like, you are going to tear that story apart and piece it back together. And it's going to be 400 times better mm-hmm. <laughs> than it was before. Like, it was intense. And I feel like I, if I could do it again, I would. Like, if I could, I, I if I could, if I could be so profoundly changed and inspired and, and kind of like, just blown apart I would I would do it again and again and again of course you know lose its it's shine maybe (laughs) after a while but you know it really in the plot thing that I mentioned earlier and the importance of story in in writing that's not something I really thought about until I was in the MFA program you know like I, I knew I could write a good sentence but a lot of I was sending stories to my advisors and they would come back and be like, okay, you know, like you're a good writer, you're doing a really good job, but like, what's the point of this story? What are you trying to tell me? What does this character Mm. want? Like, how are they changed by what's happening here? And it suddenly, it just occurred, like it just kept coming back to me. Like story is the reason we read, like story stays with us. Character stays with us in a way that like a pretty sentence probably doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think, of all the amazing things that happened to me in my MFA, my two years in the MFA program, like I think the story thing was the biggest, but also, you know, 
again, the community thing too, like to know that you have this community of writers and to sit down at lunch every day for two weeks and talk to people really intensely about writing and to just mm. keep in contact with them. You know, I've been out of the program for a whole year now and I still keep in contact with my advisors and a lot of the people that I met. And it's, it's really profound to know that that exists, like that you, you went through it with these people and, and they're your, they're your people now. I love that. I'm wondering if you might read some of your writing for us. Sure. I'd be happy to. Even though I primarily write fiction, I think I'm going to read you a section from an essay <laughs> that was published earlier this year on Hobart, which is an online literary magazine for anyone who doesn't know that I, I highly recommend checking out. Erin Birch, who is the editor, publishes really, really incredible stuff. So I was super honored to be featured on the site. And this was a really hard essay. It's about um, the aftermath of an affair. And it took a lot out of me to write it and took a lot out of me to send it out into the world. And then to have it published, I was just like, I can't believe I'm being this open. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I really, really, of all the things I've written recently, this is definitely one that, that means a lot to me. So I'm going to read a section of it called Grace. The title of the essay is The Infidel Approaches Grace. And so the little moments of grace interspersed in this story. Saturday mornings before work, I load my recycling and compost and truck it to the transfer station. Usually I wear the previous evening's work clothes and a pair of oversized sunglasses to conceal my sleep-deprived eyes, which means the men and women in t-shirts and Carhartts often stare. Roll-off containers edge the parking lot at precise angles. Looming behind, the Department of Public Works building rises. Green tar paper shingles, cement walls, gritty and noble. Across Route 9, on a rolling hill, graze an idyllic herd of Holsteins. Early on, I develop a rhythm. Paper, bottles and cans. What the DPW men know about me is I drink too much and feed too many cats. And last, compost. The compost bins are kept at the far end of the lot, abutting the attendance station, past the card table that each week features an array of junk not quite ready for the incinerator, 1,000-piece puzzles, plastic dolls and hand-crocheted dresses, dented tin trays, stained silk bouquets, rusty kettles. A dozen 50-gallon bins line damp stone walls. The smell in high summer is rot and acetone, sharp as a slap. Bees drowse. Flies fuss, maggots sometimes writhe. And yet, even as I breathe in little gasps, I take my time. I study the contents of the open bin, divining fortunes and chicken bones into eggshells, tea bags, and coffee grounds, seeking in the muck some semblance of a future. Each week I add my refuse, wilted lettuce and kale stems, ever more coffee grounds, avocado skins, squash seeds, apple cores. And each week I step back, out into the fresh air, leaving the spoils to what they will become. Mm, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's really, really incredible work. I'm curious the best advice you've ever received. <laughs> Man, what is the best advice I've ever received? I feel like 
it's either maybe the best advice I've ever received is to take a deep breath. (laughs) And I feel like I come back to that over and over. And, you know, lots and lots of people have probably told me to take a deep breath. I tend to get overly excited about things. (laughs) I get, I have a temper. I, I tend to get worked up about things, excited or not excited. And I feel like as much as I love my my impulsiveness and my my big energy, I also feel like it's really good to stop for a second, take a deep breath <laughs> and and then continue. And you make I might I might continue being really excited or being in a really bad temper, or I might kind of realize that maybe what I'm doing is not what I want to be doing, and then I will do it differently. And I, of course, you know, if you'd asked me this tomorrow, I might've come up with something else, but I, I have been thinking a lot about breath and breathing recently. I, um, one of my goals for my 34th year was to start a meditation practice. And I've been pretty consistent about doing that for the last couple of months. Um, and it's a pretty, I know meditation is amazing because I have read about it and been really interested in it for a long time, but it's pretty incredible the change that happens when you sit and just pay attention to your breath and breathing for Mm -hmm. a few minutes, even just, even just for one minute, you know, I, I, I am really amazed at how, how transformative that action is. So take a deep breath. (laughs) That's the best advice I've probably been given. I think that's great advice. I do. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You know, and it really, it really is. It's something you hear a lot. I feel like I've probably heard it so many times in my life. Like, take a deep breath, Sarah, calm down. And, you know, like the calm down part, that isn't necessary. That's not important at all. But the, the take, <laughs> it's so simple and it's so profound. Like, it, <laughs> like, and when you really start paying attention to it, you're like, yes, we should all be taking a deep breath about a hundred more times a mm-hmm. day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. I get that too. I'm that same kind of like, I have a lot of big energy. Mm-hmm. I get really excited. I get really exuberant. People tell me I should cut off the caffeine, <laughs> right? Like yeah. lay off the coffee, girl, because you are, and I am like, no, I'm actually like this normally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And I get told to take a deep breath or stop or sit the fuck down a lot. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I do get sit the fuck down a lot. That's really, really funny. <laughs> Fiction is, like, the one thing that I never write. Like, I just don't even know. I can write, like, um, five-sentence fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Like, Little flash pieces. Yeah. yeah, maybe. But they're always autobiographical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. A lot of my fiction it has so much autobiography in it that I'm like, is, is everyone going to think this actually happened to me? Right. There's so much of me in it, even though it's not me and like probably what's going to happen didn't happen to me. There's always so much in it that yeah. I feel like my mom's going to be like, um, Sarah, did this happen? And you never told me about it. <laughs> right. Like, 
no, I made it up. <laughs> exactly. I swear. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned um, featuring writers of all genders, and I want to ask you about your work as a reviewer for Lambda Literary. Sure. What um, do you do with Lambda Literary, and what does it mean for you, both as an editor of a literary magazine, as well as a writer? I primarily review books for Lambda Literary, and I occasionally um, interview authors of the books that I have reviewed. I've been doing it for, let's see, four years now, and I... Well, it's kind of an, not really an accident, just kind of a happy, um, happy coincidence. I, um, several years ago, wrote an essay that was included in an anthology called Dear John, I Love Jane. Women write about leaving men for women. And the book was nominated for a Lammy, which is um, the Lambda Literary Awards is the big awards, the literary awards they give out every year. Um, and there were readings all over the country for the nominees and the editor of Dear John emailed me and said, would you be interested in driving down to New York and participating in the reading there? And I said, sure, why not? Like, I love New York. I'll drive down. No worries. So I drove down. I read a portion of the essay and then I met the then editor whose name I'm blanking on. I think it was Antonio. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Anyway, we chatted. He was like, you should review for us. And I was like, okay, sure. I emailed him. He was like, I'm actually leaving, but William Johnson's taking over. Get in touch with him. So I did. And it just kept working out. And I, I really, really, really love reviewing for Lambda. You know, I love seeing all these I mostly review their fiction, like fiction that comes in. I do every once in a while review a nonfiction book for them, but I love seeing the, the, the um, kind of spectrum of LGBTQ writers and publishers. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of little presses that are publishing this stuff there. There are some bigger presses that publish LGBTQ things like I um last fall reviewed Sarah Waters book The Paying Guests and then and I can't remember who published that one it's definitely one of the bigger much bigger publishers mm -hmm. um, and then I got to talk to her on the phone and interview her which was like amazing I felt like <laughs> I felt like if I was gonna die that day I was gonna die happy because it was like Sarah Waters is amazing. Right. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, so I get this experience of like talking to Sarah Waters on the phone, but then also reading, reading books. I read a book last summer called um, The River's Memory. And I'm trying to think the author's name was um, Sandra Gale Lambert. And it was her first published book. It was a collection of interrelated stories. And it was the press uh, Twisted Road publications. It was their it was their first book. And, and so it was like, I was seeing the beginning of something, you know, the beginning of this writer's career and the beginning of this publisher's career. So mm. I get the whole spectrum and it's really incredible to hear the, the number of voices that 
are included in, in the LGBTQ spectrum. Like, in uh, you know, historical fiction, speculative fiction, I just read this incredible book, The Grace Keepers by Kirsty Logan, who is, um, I think, Scottish. She's definitely in the UK. <laughs> um, this gorgeous, gorgeous novel that takes place in a world that is um, like 95% underwater. So it's, you know, like global warming gone really, really wrong. And land is really, really valuable. And almost everyone lives on boats. And there's this little, not little, it's the, it's the whole book. There's this love story between these two women in the book. And so I get, it, it's really incredible to see the spectrum of, of what's being published in the LGBT world mm. and, and to be engaging in that. And I, 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 I love Lambda. I love reading what they publish on the website. I went down this year to the award ceremony in June. It's the first one I'd been to. And it was just like, the energy is really, really exciting. And just like, see, just being part of that conversation is really exciting and really important to me. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I would love to give you a chance to share some of your wisdom as an MFA grad, as the founding editor of a press and a literary journal, um, with folks who might be listening to this episode. Oh, <laughs> my wisdom, my main, I, I, I think I, I probably say this a lot anytime anyone asks me for wisdom, which is, if you are a writer to keep writing just keep doing it every day anytime you have a chance to do it just keep doing it because we I feel like I feel like I hear a lot of negative stuff about like the book being dead and there are too many writers in the world and blah 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 and I'm like you know what that's bullshit there, everyone should be telling their story or a story if they want to tell it. Like, keep doing it. The world needs us. The world needs our voices. It needs our art. It needs to. It needs to. It needs to be exposed to what we have to say as writers and artists. Like, so I get really passionate and worked up about everybody who has the urge or desire to write or to create to do it. And it doesn't matter if anyone sees it, unless that's important to you, in which case, cool, you should also submit. Submit, submit, submit. I have probably a thousand rejection letters <laughs> in my files and a handful of acceptances. And like, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And don't let go. Like, I feel like I can't stress enough that as an artist and a writer or writer and or <laughs> to just be tenacious about it and to be really and to also, you know, I I feel like I every once in a while I will get feedback that I feel like is not helpful to me or doesn't quite um resonate with what I'm trying to do. And I, I think that that can be really, really discouraging, even once you are able to recognize 
that it might not be, you know, you might be getting feedback from someone who's not approaching your work the way it needs to be approached or who maybe has like a, a bigger issue that's kind of not letting them see what you're doing properly. Like I, every once, every once in a while criticism, I, I'm all for creative or uh, what's the constructive criticism, things that are meant to kind of like make things better. But sometimes criticism is not constructive at all. And even when you don't, even when you know that and can recognize it, it still hits you and it still hurts. And I, I feel like the one of the most important things to do is to tune those voices out as much as possible and to find people who like and appreciate and understand what you're doing and stick with them. And if you need help making something better, you can trust them to help you make it better if you have the right people around you know like and then the the criticism isn't tearing you apart it's meant to help and so I think that those are that's my my big wisdom keep writing keep submitting find a community of supportive people to keep around you that you trust and just like go for it <laughs> mm. mm-hmm that's such, that's, yes, all of that times a million. <laughs> Sarah, it has been so great to have you on the show. Um, I just love sitting down and talking with you, and I'm so looking forward to everything that is coming up from Cactus Heart and from you as a writer. Thank if, you. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, they can find you online at sarahrouch.com and also at cactusheartpress.com. You are listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in-her-room.com, you'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with poet, mother, and survivor of chronic illness, Amy Lee Zadzek. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together. <laughs>